Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 226th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this episode is presented by HBO's The Defiant Ones, a docuseries that chronicles the unlikely yet unbreakable bond of trust and friendship between Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre, for your consideration in all categories, including outstanding documentary series. My guest today is the current and only the sixth permanent occupant of one of the most iconic and coveted jobs in all of entertainment, host of The Tonight Show, America's longest-running talk show and regularly scheduled entertainment program, Jimmy Fallon. Fallon, of course, has a long and rich history at NBC dating back 20 years. He made his name as one of the all-time great members of the cast of the Peacock Network's variety sketch series Saturday Night Live, on which he appeared from 1998 through 2004, spending his last three seasons as co-anchor with Tina Fey of Weekend Update. He then briefly tried his hand at a movie career before returning to 30 Rock at the behest of Lauren Michaels to host Late Night, a 12.30 a.m. talk show which he anchored from 2009 through 2013. Then, when Jay Leno retired in 2014, Fallon took over The Tonight Show. Now, in his fifth season there, he is, at 43, still the youngest of the three hosts of 11.30 p.m. network variety talk shows and is, according to Leno, quote, probably closer to what Johnny was like than anybody, close quote. Johnny, of course, being the standard bearer himself, Johnny Carson, who hosted his version of The Tonight Show from the same 30 Rock studio where Fallon hosts his. Fallon is, at least on the air, always sunny, upbeat, and fun. He does impersonations, games, and music. And, when moved to do so, he speaks from the heart. Just go back and look at his remarks after Robin Williams' death, David Letterman's last show, the insanity in Charlottesville, and, most recently, last November 13th, the death of his beloved mother. Fallon's work has long been celebrated by fans, colleagues, and Emmy voters. For SNL, he was twice nominated for, and twice won, Best Guest Actor in a Comedy Series in 2012 and 2014. For Late Night, he received Best Variety Series noms in 2011, 2012, and 2013, a Best Writing for a Variety Series nom in 2011, and Best Creative Achievement in Interactive Social Media Nonfiction noms in 2009, 2010, and 2011, winning the first two. For his Best of Late Night with Jimmy Fallon primetime special, he was nominated for Best Variety Special in 2014. And for The Tonight Show, he received Best Variety Series noms in 2014, 2015, and 2016, a Best Writing for a Variety Series nom in 2014, a nom for Best Interactive Program in 2014, 2015, and 2017, winning the first, and a nom for Best Creative Achievement in Interactive Media, Social TV Experience, in 2015, winning that as well. All of which makes the past year and nine months all the more jarring for Fallon. It was on Thursday, September 15th, 2016, that the famously jovial host interviewed Donald Trump, then the Republican nominee for president, and, in the midst of a relatively softball exchange, asked for and was granted permission to ruffle Trump's hair. A massive backlash began almost immediately, with many criticizing Fallon for humanizing a man whom they regarded as an existential threat to America. An incident that might have been forgiven and forgotten had Hillary Clinton won the White House was instead revisited with even greater anger than before when Trump upset her, and Fallon's fortunes in the hyper-politicized new era took a hit. His show lost about a fifth of its viewers. Stephen Colbert's The Late Show overtook it in the ratings, while Jimmy Kimmel's Jimmy Kimmel Live closed in on it as well. 
And on Emmy nomination day a year ago, Colbert and Kimmel landed Best Variety Talk Series noms, but Fallon was left out of the category altogether. Over the years since, Fallon, a husband and father of two, has focused on the future, not the past, as one must when one has to put out a new show five times a week, a show that, we should note, still goes viral as much as any late-night show and is the most popular with people under the age of 50. But now, in only his second interview since the Trump episode, he opens up, as never before, about the good, the bad, and the ugly sides of his journey to this point. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Jimmy, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's very quiet for New York City. That's true. And we're in the belly of the beast. This is, can you tell where we are? We're in my office right here. This is on the sixth floor of 30 Rockefeller Plaza here in New York City. Right. It's a very old building, but I've been here for a long time. Yes. Well, I want to begin by asking you what we, we begin every episode. Where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? I was born in Brooklyn, New York, Bay Ridge, and I was raised in Socrates, New York, Upstate New York, very cute town. It's by Woodstock. People know it now as like a, a place where like there's like an equestrian place, like horses competing and stuff. I'd never grew up with. I, I seriously maybe have seen a horse twice, growing <laughs> in a, like a, in a parade right, maybe. Right. Like I've never yeah. So like for that to be now my hometown is like all horses. It's kind of awesome. And my mom and dad. My dad worked at IBM for a long time. He had a bunch of jobs, but IBM was a big deal. And he used to do. Uh, he used to fix machines, and then he was a technical writer for a while at IBM. And my mom raised us. Yeah. She was a homemaker, and she. You and one sibling. I have one uh, sister. Her name is Gloria Fallon. She's super funny, and we're still very close to yeah. this day. I know this is probably the question you get as much as any. But were you a funny kid? Were you the class clown? You know, growing up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I was class clown. I think I got that, but I, I don't really remember. You know, I, I remember my parents like having me do Rodney Dangerfield. That was a big thing that we. I would do an impression of him. So like, we'd have a party, and they'd have me do Rodney, and then. I do like, you know, they give me like a dollar and I do like three writing jokes like, uh, I'll tell you, my wife's cooking so bad. I, since when does toast have bones? Yeah, <laughs> that was a great joke. That's because you were finding just yourself that you were drawn to impersonations and things at that young yeah, age? I think impersonations was my first big thing. I remember like, I do have a tape of me at a, maybe two years old doing impressions of James Cagney just saying, like, you dirty rat, you know? And I think Don Ho was my uh, other one. Quite a and I said, uh, aloha. Yeah, so right. I'd open with Cagney, I'd close with Don Ho. <laughs> At what point did Late Night sort of cross your radar that there were these shows that operated in the ways that yours now does? I used to watch Johnny Carson all the time. That was our, my first big thing, probably in Late Night, as far as I remember. Like, that was, like, my variety show. The comparisons between him and Ed Sullivan... I remember my parents and my grandparents would always say, oh, you, oh Ed Sullivan was the best. You got to see Ed Sullivan, what he used to do in the show. And he'd have impressionists on and he'd have, you know, jugglers and uh, people spinning plates. And, you know, so now and then when you'd see, you know, what Johnny Carson would be doing, I'd go like, I don't really quite understand, but I love it. I love, like, I, why is he wearing a wig and he's doing his thing? And <laughs> it, was it was amusing, yeah. It was bizarre, but I remember watching a lot of Johnny Carson like, and asking my parents if I could stay up late. To watch Johnny Carson, that was like a big deal if I could do that. You know, yeah. if they go like, all right, just stay up just for the monologue and then you can go to bed after that. Like, <laughs> or if there was a guest I really wanted to see, can I just stay up? And that was a big deal. And then, and then Saturday Night Live was just something I remember my parents talking about all the time. And 
imitating and they would have, you know, parties and their friends would talk about it too. And then we were one of the first families to get a VCR. Mm-hmm. This is back in the day when you, it would come in two pieces. <laughs> and like there was a giant, like it was, it was a, really a big, it was almost like getting another house. It was a giant, it's about the size of this table. Right. And it came in two pieces and used to press the thing and it would go up like a robot. Then right, it would go right, whoosh, right. And then you, so we would tape and set the timer to tape Silent Live. Okay. Then my parents would go through the tape and like edit the show to see like what sketches were uh, appropriate appropriate for me and my sister. <laughs> but I mean, and this is when setting a timer really was. Right, right. That's why those you hear all those stand-up comedy jokes about setting the timer. And be, right. That really was a complicated <laughs> thing. So it was a very funny joke at the time. It's very so dated funny. now. But yeah, we used to do that. And yeah, so that was my first foray into it. So I just kind of got really into it. I remember I would record that on a reel-to-reel and then take the reel-to-reel up to my bedroom so I could just listen to the audio of Richard Pryor's monologue or Steve Martin's monologue and just, like, imitate them. You're like, too wild and crazy guy! And just trying to see if I can lip-sync in my mirror, you know, and it was fun. Amazing. That was all useful practice, it turned out. But yeah. I guess one thing that I think I was surprised to learn in reading this, if it, if it is in fact true, is that you went to Catholic schools as a kid and that, in fact, at one point, Rather than getting into the world of comedy, you were thinking about pursuing the priesthood. Yeah, I was really into it. I I go every now and then. I, I you know uh, n- not as much as I, I used to. I was really um, I went to Saint Mary Saint Mary of the Snow school, and uh, I was an altar boy, and I got just into it, and I was good at it. And I think I think I had Bill Maher on the show, and he said to me, "Do you know that's probably your first foray into acting on stage?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about it. I was like. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, because being up on the altar, you're kind of up on stage and people are in the pews yeah. looking at you. And like you my, have certain rituals every time you're I, there. I would, I would ring the bells. I was, I was the best. I was the best at ringing the bells. I mean, if you wanted that, those bells rang, you'd go to Jimmy Fallon. I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, I, that would be like, and I, after I rang it, I'd look out and just see the reaction. Like, right. uh, what'd you guys think? That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not, you know, I'm not stealing the show. The, it's all about, you know, the priest and, uh, you know, that's his thing today, his homily. I used to, yeah, I used to get up. Like 6.30 mass. I, I was really, really into it. I loved wow. the smell of incense. I was friends with nuns. I was like, <laughs> I love the whole thing. I love, you know, dressing up in the proper attire and just the respectfulness. I was really, really into it and committed. Yeah. But then, you know, as the older I got, I just, I think comedy started to be more important in my life. Well, I wanted to ask, because it seems like if there was a turning point where that became a, a real focus of yours, it sounds like there was... Maybe not long after your high school graduation, there was a talent contest. Is that right? There was a talent contest at this comedy club called Bananas in Poughkeepsie, New York. My mom heard about this contest on the radio and said, we're looking for the funniest guy in the Hudson Valley. You have three minutes to do one impression of whoever you like. So my mom said, Jimmy, you should totally do this. You know, I, I hear you do you know, voices up in your bedroom all the time. And, you know, and I said, what else? What else are you hearing? <laughs> My bedroom all the time. <laughs> like, it's like, so I, I, I said, all right, I, I'd love to. Maybe I'll, I'll join this contest. And I've never done a talent contest or any of that stuff. So instead of doing one voice, I did a bunch of voices, which turned out to be my act forever. But I, well, there I, was a troll involved, right? What is that about? Someone got me a troll doll, you know, like a little tiny thing that said like "Happy Graduation" or something, right. with like a graduation cap and a diploma, as a gift because I was graduating that right. year of high school. And 
And I said, thank you very much. You know, see, what do you say? <laughs> what but do what do I do with that gift? I don't know what I do with the you know, 16-year-old boy or whatever. Yeah. So I did a commercial for the doll, and I said, we're looking for the next celebrity to be the spokesperson for Troll Dolls. <laughs> so I go, well, let's start the auditions. First up, John Travolta. And I'm like, I swear to God, you see these things like, who does his hair? Like his hair so frizzy. Like, I mean, what kind of doll is this over here? You know, and then they go, like, next up, Jerry Seinfeld. And go like, who plays with these things? His arms and legs don't move. What kind of a doll is this? You know, so I go through it. So I did, I think, 12 impressions. I mean, you I used to do a Cosby, right? I did Bill Cosby. Like, <laughs> it was, yeah, I mean, I know, totally. I did Bill Cosby. I go, well, will you look at the truck? I mean, I can't, I haven't done Cosby. And, Pee Wee Herman, I did right. Casey Kasem, uh, you know, unbelievable. But you know, it's funny, you know, you do the, my act, and it, you, you do basically get an act. And I remember, like, if you don't update your act, you're in trouble, especially as an impressionist, right. because I remember I, I forget what charity event it was, but it was probably in 2000. It was before or late night, but I was doing a charity gig, and I hadn't updated my act, <laughs> and I, I was just bombing. And I was doing these impressions that, like, you know, Casey Kasem, things that people right. don't really care about anymore. <laughs> and I remember looking, and John Stewart was in the in the crowd, and he was crying, laughing, <laughs> watching me bomb. And he was right. like, he's like, oh my gosh, it can happen. To this anyone. is so painful. <laughs> and and I saw him, and then I said, go out next up, uh, Cliff Clavin. He goes, Cliff Clavin, Cliff Clavin. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I killed in 92 or whatever this was, I'm 92. It all worked, man. I won the competition back then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. And then you got the bug. You just started doing other talent shows, right? I won like $700 or something like that. For that first one? Yeah, for three minutes. That'll get you hooked. So I go, wow, is it that easy? (laughs) (laughs) It turns out it's not that easy. No, no. You end up living years off of ramen noodle soup (laughs) and then drinking the broth as as the beverage to go with your soup. So you did go off to college. This is in Albany College of St. Rose. And I know that you were involved with comedy there. Why, though, just a semester before graduating, did you decide to take the leap of leaving and trying to focus fully on comedy? You're just a semester from graduating. Was that a tough call? Yeah, I mean, well, the toughest call was just calling my parents and saying, <laughs> I'm going to do this. They're like, uh, you know, they're like, oh, we believe in your comedy, but please get a degree. Right. <laughs> well, gosh. and they make you do something else to cover your ass? Yeah, they actually made me take the postal exam. <laughs> Meaning you to be a post office driver. To be a mailman, yeah. A mailman, yeah. Yeah, they go, we really think college is going great. We think, you know, you have a career in comedy coming. That We really think your future is bright, but this mailman business could be... <laughs> Just check. Just, just do the test. Just do the test, and we'll do it with you. Just, you know, just right. to have something to fall back on. So I go, and they asked my sister to take it too, and she was like, "No, I can't be a mail. What are you talking about? Like, I don't want this at all. I'm not doing. Right. I don't want." This. But then I did it, and it was very much numbers because at the time I was in college, and I was doing a lot of computer science. That was my major at the time. I switched from that to my minor because it really got too hard. But I was pretty good at a couple languages. Yeah. The COBOL. I was fantastic at which people will just laugh at right now. It's not even the language. <laughs> C++ is where I got off. But anyways, uh, mailman, like in the post office, there's a lot of zip codes and organizing and numbers and putting that. I didn't mind it. I loved you, it. And you I passed. I crushed. <laughs> I got offered like 30 jobs from the postal service. I was like set. I could so, easily have been a Well, if a it mailman. doesn't work out now, you still have something to fall back I on. Might, so. I, might, <laughs> I might do it. I love my mailman. <laughs> well, so what actually 
precipitated the decision to leave college. It was a friend of yeah. mine who, when you're out just doing stand-up and trying to get discovered and recognized, you send out your tapes and your headshot. Mm -hmm. And so I sent tapes to Sarant Live. I sent tapes, and I've gotten return things from Sarant Live saying, like, we're not allowed to watch your tape. It's ah. unsolicited. We have to go through right. agents or something, which I don't have an agent or a manager. And actually, it's signed Marcy Klein. Really? And I knew who that was, wow. being a fan of the show. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have Marcy Klein's <laughs> autograph. And I kept it. And years later, I met Marcy Klein. I go, I go you know, and she, Marcy actually got me hired on the show. Right. But I go, did you sign this? Is this rich? She goes, oh, that's me. And she signed it again, <laughs> signed it again. next to her signature just to prove that it <laughs> was. Or like, So I have now a double signature of that's a rejection great. letter from Sarah Live. <laughs> but I, uh, I said it to this guy I worked for at a Newsweekly in... Albany, New York, called Metroland, and I was the receptionist there, and I also did the advertisement section in the back. You know, I do like couples, you know, like a you know, women, woman seeking man, I do you know, like the dating, like the personal section. Right. I would do that, and I'd organize all that stuff. So he he left to become a music manager in L.A. His name was Peter Islin, and then he called me and said, "Hey, Jimmy, this uh, this company I'm with, they're starting a comedy division." They have this great girl from that was an assistant at Brillstein Gray, mm -hmm. which is another, you know, alarm that went off my head because I know Brillstein does a lot with Sarah Live yeah. and Bernie Brillstein. Yeah. I was like, okay. He's like, <laughs> and she saw your tape and she thinks, you know, you're green, but she'd love to maybe get on the phone with you. She thinks maybe you should come out here. And her name is Randy Siegel and she was awesome. She became my first manager. And you did go out to LA? She said, I think you should come out. She goes, what do you want to do? Like, what's your, what, what do you, where do you see yourself? I go, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. And she goes, <laughs> but really, where do you, what do you, what, would you be on a sitcom? I go, I don't know. I don't want to be on a sitcom. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. She's mm -hmm. like, all right, well, I'm at, you know, Brosine Grain, so I know a lot of these guys, and I've seen the way of, you know, have you taken acting lessons? I go, nope. She goes, all right, you got to do that. Right. Because when you do stand-up, you don't you really know how to act with other people because you're just by yourself. Right. So you're really comfortable by yourself on stage, not necessarily with other people. Right. So she goes, we got to get you acting lessons. So I called my parents and said, look, it's it's pilot season. So they think this is a good, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, this is, uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, huh? what does that mean? Right. I go, but this, you know, where they make TV show pilots. So they want me to come out to LA and audition for shows and get acting class going. And I think I'm ready to do it. And they're like, if you feel like you're ready to do it, go for it. Wow. And everyone told me it was a mistake. The comedy club owners said, I wouldn't do it, Jimmy. Everyone it's falls for this. Don't go out west. Don't go out west. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. People do it all the time, and it's a mistake. Just go to school and start working, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I go, okay, you know. But I just did it because I just felt like it was right. And it wasn't easy for a while out there, right? I mean, the, when you were first out there, how were you living? I lived on my manager's couch for at least six months, and then I moved in with, like, three roommates you don't really make money. It's really hard to make friends. It's really lonely. It's mm -hmm. tough. It's a lot of rejection. Mm -hmm. I mean, once the auditions come in, you think that's great. Right. Because at first, you, there's no audition. Right. <laughs> no one knows who you are. There's right. no auditions, no money. But then I started making $7.25 a gig at the Improv. Yeah. Bud Friedman, Mark Lano, and those guys over there at the Melrose Improv, they would book me and I'd get $7.00. A gig, and that would that would add up. They'd mm -hmm. pay for a lot of ramen noodles, but also they would feed you. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Which is a big deal. Yeah. The improv, which is, I, I, it doesn't. I mean, I, that's bizarre to even like. But I mean, 
you really that matters. Oh, eating yeah. food is fantastic. And you can't have food. It's like right. Oh, my, God, my mom was so happy. I would do the improv. She's like, oh, so happy because you're Thank eating. God. That means you're eating. Tell Butt. Thank you. Give him a hug for me. I'm not hugging Butt Freeman. But he did. He right. saved me, man. And then, but then you get auditions, and then that's when you just get rejected every. Dude, it was nothing but rejection, and that's crusher on your confidence. And meanwhile, what what were you doing with Groundlings? I started at the Groundlings, and I took classes from great teachers. Jim Wise was my first teacher. Mm-hmm. Karen Mariyama, Michael McDonald, mm-hmm. not the singer, but the yeah. the fantastic <laughs> uh, comedic actor. Right. I was happy I got into yeah, yeah. the basic program. Then I got up to what they call lab. And I was doing it all the time. I get my improv skills up, and it was really fun. Yeah, I loved it. And as I was doing that, I got a movie, like a independent movie, which is just exciting. Yeah. I was doing that, and I did this movie, and I also got a pilot to, gosh, I think it was called Tasty Sensations or something. Mm-hmm. I think I saw you also or did an episode of Spin City or something early on, right? Yeah. So yeah. Spin City was yeah. back in New York. That okay. was yeah. oh, that was even before. Okay. I, I came back. I got a guest quick thing on Spin City which was exciting for me and I had to wear my own wardrobe for that which right. was kind of interesting because they're like just wear what you wore for the audition I'm right. like really? <laughs> big, big wardrobe budget yeah but I did that I got but I, I remember I, I got this pilot and I, I said to you know my manager at the time and then I had a lawyer yeah. who I still work with mm-hmm. Tom Rowan yeah. Dan Rowan's son from Rowan and Martin's yeah. oh wow, wow he's the best I wow. just love this guy he's, I'm still yeah. still with him and so I go, Tom, is there any way to put in, like, if I can get, if I get Siren Live, I can quit the show? Like put this. it in the contract. And he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how life works. It's like, you're lucky to get this show. Right. And that's it. He goes, I go, because I really, if, if I had the chance, I need Siren Live is really all I want right. to do. And he's right. like, I'll ask. I mean, they'll never let you do it. It's right. Warner Brothers. It was David Gentilari, I want right. to say. And so he asked and he said, no, absolutely not. So I go, then I don't think I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And they go, what? <laughs> I go, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I just want to wait for Sarah Live. And I really, that's where I belong, I think. Right. You know? And they, they came back and they said, okay, we'll do it. Wow. So it you got to ask. Then the only time. Yeah. But it's, I have a contract and out that said, like, if this if get guy gets Sarah Live, we can let that's him leave. And everyone was kind of laughing. They were like, right. this guy thinks he's going to be on Sarah Live? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. I know the first pass at at going out for SNL was not success. But can you just take us through from how you first came to their attention to how you wound up getting hired? Randy Siegel, who was my manager at the time, I had a good relationship with Ayala Cohen and Marcy Klein Mm -hmm. at Sirent Live in the talent department. So she sent my tape and my resume and said, I'd love you to see this guy. And they go, all right, we'll see him. And so I came in for... An audition, a fast audition they did for one night at the comic strip Mm -hmm. here in New York City. Mm -hmm. I went on stage and Lauren was in the crowd. I did impressions and it just was really, it was a short bit and I couldn't get the crowd on my side. Mm -hmm. It was awful. I I want to say it was probably three minutes, but it felt like the longest, felt like an hour and a half. I'm just sweating on stage and no one understood what I was doing with the troll dolls. I didn't quite have the sales pitch yet and I go... (laughs) Ah man, it couldn't have been, it w- couldn't have been worse. Right. And there was a diner next to the comic strip, and I remember going there with my manager after, and it was like that poster you see like in the mall of like, you know, James <laughs> Dean. It was, it was the Boulevard of Brook, whatever. Right. Brooke. 
they, like one of your first art pieces that you get, and you go, "Oh, I know that artist." Right. And you go, "No, it's like a poster, <laughs> but whatever." It's like Humphrey Marilyn Monroe serving coffee right. to like, yeah. So, but it felt so lonely and depressing, and I was like sipping on this diner coffee and just going like, "That could have been my shot." I can't believe that was it, and I blew it. Gosh. And so I went back to L.A., went back to Groundlings, went back to this independent movie I was doing. Right. Towards the end of that movie, they Saturday Night Live called me back. It was still, it was the next season, but mm-hmm. it turned out that that year they were looking for Tracy Morgan. The one that you didn't get, it went to Tracy Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. And now the second time they come back to you? Yeah. And so now they, they go, all right, we're looking to expand the cast a little bit more. We want to see Jimmy again, but just tell him not to do the troll thing. We've seen, <laughs> we've seen that bit. And I go, oh, gosh. And so I go, this is it. You know, lightning strikes twice. Right. Here we go, man. So I worked in my act. I went, God, I went on this hike. That Gosh, if I was still in L.A., I would remember where it was. Oh, God, it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's like Roy Rogers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Is that possible? It's Roy Rogers. Some cowboy yeah, yeah, yeah. has a hiking trail, and yeah, I went yeah. all the way up to the top, and I listened to Pet Sounds. Because my roommate had this like awesome Pet Sounds box set that right. had like just the vocals and just the music, <laughs> so we really got into right. it. I was like, "Oh, so psyched that he got this!" <laughs> we might have even went halfsies on the box set, or so we chipped in ten bucks for it. <laughs> but I was like, "Oh!" And I listened to this over and over again, tried to like almost meditate and go like, "What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?" And so I just thought of a kind of the same bit, but I changed it to like a celebrity charity or yeah. a celebrity walkathon yeah, yeah, where yeah, yeah. It just replaced the troll doll with whatever charity we're doing get all these celebrities together so you could still showcase the impersonations but in a more palatable yeah yeah and so i get to snl and this audition is at studio 8h on the actual stage the thing that i've seen my whole life i remember taking photos of the elevator just in case (laughs) i never get allowed back in the building because the elevator carpeting was nbc peacocks and i go i still have the photos it's like it was great and it was a disposable camera right right right. i was like this is just a story i'm gonna tell my kids forever (laughs) i think i brought the troll with me just for good luck (laughs) and i went i had my act all ready to go i was staying at some hotel close to here i don't even think it's open anymore and i remember i went to this the stardust Diner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got a cheeseburger <laughs> and I got a, it was called a banana health shake. Right, right. And it's like, it's so not healthy. It's a, it's a milkshake. It's a banana right, milkshake with right. wheat germ in it. That would be nourished for your audition. <laughs> yeah. So I got that and I went to back to the hotel room. I was going over and over my act and I had a guitar now. Now I was doing musical impressions as well. And I was ready to really like just show them everything I got. Right. You know, I had Dave Matthews. You know, I could do him mm-hmm. like, I was doing that. I was doing a Robert Smith from The Cure. So I was doing some random ones too. Like, I can't believe how sad life is. And then uh, I called my sister on the phone. I was like, she's like, go over your act again. I go, I think I might add this. She goes, what do you mean you think you might? Do you do not? You do exactly what your little brother, you do exactly what you just said your act was. Right. So I went in. I went in to do my audition and everyone's, they come up to you and they go, uh, who's Jimmy Fallon? I go, that's me. And they go, okay, well, you realize Laura Michaels is not going to laugh. Right. And, you know, I've told this story before. And I go, oh, okay. They go, just, I didn't want it to throw you. I go, that's fine. They go, oh, first before that, they go, do you mind if this guy goes before you because he's got another audition? And I go, first of all, who is this guy? Right, right. Really going to blow? You have another audition? What's yeah, bigger right. than this? <laughs> but then I go, sure, this guy can go ahead of me. Right. This guy goes ahead of me. He has a box full of wigs and no, a keyboard. And I go, oh, no. my God, I can't follow that. <laughs> wigs? 
You can't follow wigs. What is he doing? I don't have wigs. So then, anyways, they go, okay, Jim, we're getting ready for you. Let's get, let's mic you up. The microphone guy goes and puts the the microphone on. He's like, all right, Jimmy, um, hey, just between you and me, uh, Lauren doesn't really laugh. I go, oh, yeah, I heard that. He goes, yeah, don't, just don't let it throw you. And good luck to you, kid. You'll do good. I go, okay, thanks. He goes, go get your makeup on. So I go in the makeup thing, and the guy's like, and you're Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, he goes, like, just a little tip. You know, Lauren doesn't like to laugh. I go, wow, what is this guy's right, pro- right. Why would he do produce a comedy show? <laughs> if he doesn't like laughing so much, right, good right. jeez. So, anyways, I did my audition. I was really nervous. It's available. I mean, they released all the auditions, yes. and it's I cannot watch it. But I was very skinny and had very spiky hair at the time, and <laughs> and I did an impression of Adam Sandler, which at the time no one did, because he just left the show. Just left. Just left that yeah. season, that yeah. summer, and so I did an impression of Adam Sandler, and uh, I go like, uh, "Hi, how you doing?" <laughs> And Lauren started laughing. Wow. And he put his head in his hand and he was laughing. And like I go, Oh my goodness. If that's like I mean that yeah, I mean you're where's in. my disposable right, camera right now? Right, right. And I go, Well, if that's anything, I was just I I made Lauren Michaels laugh. Yeah. In uh, Studio Eight H where, you know, Saturday Night Live history, you know, this is my favorite show ever and I was right. obsessed with the show. So I left and I remember Marcy like looking at me and kind of like almost welled up like a little tears and she was like Great job, buddy. Wow. And I was like, that was pretty cool. Like, it's got, and the rest, I was just like, kind of like in a daze. And long story short, I got the meeting to meet with Lauren, and he said, Back uh, in LA. Out in LA, yeah. yeah. They make you wait for a little bit. The story's <laughs> yeah. changed. I've embellished. The story, I think it was like two weeks, yeah. but I tell everyone it was eight weeks. Because <laughs> I, I, at the time, it felt like that. I'm sure. But then I got the show, and actually, it was kind of fun. Well, how did he tell you you got the show? I go to his office in the Paramount lot, which right. is a great, great show business Hollywood right. lot. I mean, oh, yeah. man, if you want to feel like you're in the business, yeah. I mean, it is great, yeah. man. There's like, Lauren would always tell me, he's like, I like the studio because, you know, you could see like a Klingon smoking or something like on his on his <laughs> coffee break. And I go, yeah, yeah. that's where the Godfather was. Trying. I go. And so we went for a walk. You know, Lauren likes to walk. And we went for a walk one day and there was a Klingon <laughs> with a, a cup of coffee and a cigarette smoking and talking to another Klingon. I go, because they're shooting Star Trek. I go, it's the business. It's so exciting. I love it so much. Right. And I was like, so I go into his office and that one, I really did wait for probably three hours to go to meet him. In the waiting room, Sari was his assistant. I remember her. She was great. And she goes, all right, he'll see you now. And I walk in, and everything is white in his office. <laughs> it felt like, I don't know, I was going into heaven or something uh, right. to see, you know. <laughs> this is, again, this is like my priest right. stuff coming back. Right. And I went in, and he goes, Jimmy, do you wear wigs? <laughs> and I go, I thought you were talking about my hair. And I go, no, I just do this. I spike it up. It's like gel. And it's like, no, no, I mean, characters, because, I mean, well, because we want you for the show. And then the rest was like. Because he has a hard time just being like, we'd like you to. He's always got to do it a circuitous yeah, way, right? So I don't know, just smooth like that. No, but I it's great. couldn't believe it. The rest was slow motion. I was like, yeah, I yeah, I haven't worn wigs, but I will. I mean, I, I can do characters and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and he goes, yeah, we'll, we'll work it all out in New York. I want you in New York around then. They'll give you all the details and congratulations. And I said, I hope I make you proud. Oh, that's amazing. And I just want to quote back something that Tina Fey said, because I believe she was in the room when you had that audition where you made Lauren laugh. Is that right? Yeah, she so was. So she said about you, quote, he's one of 
two people I've ever seen who was completely ready to be on the show. Kristen Wiig is the other one. Jimmy was ready. Like, if there had been a show to do that night, close quote. Now you join, you start in September 98, and within a year you were a full cast member after starting as a feature player. And I just wonder, did you immediately feel kind of comfortable and at home there? Was there a moment or a sketch where you were like, all right, I've got it now, I'm, I'm, I'm where I should be? My first show, I had a bit in the first show of my very, which is rare for any brand new cast member, but it was a great sketch. I believe it was written by Scott Wainio, but maybe it was Jerry Connell. I, I, I got to remember. Oh, gosh, they're going to kill me. Oh, they don't care. They wrote the sketch. It was, it was the Hollywood Squares, except it was, a, it was an earthquake in Burbank, and the squares got crushed. <laughs> and so all the celebrities were killed, but they kept playing the game anyway. For whoever, so, so so I was Gilbert Godfrey, like right. in a, in a, in a pile of rubble, and they're like, "I'll take Gilbert a block," you know, and, and I'm like, I'm covered in blood, right. like I'm I'm holding my entire intestinal tract in my own hands, and that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great bit. Yeah, I also heard about one. Maybe it was your fourth episode with Halloween themed songs, right? That was my big break. That was the big one? The big breakout for me was the Ben Stiller episode. I think it was my fourth episode in. I did my Sandler impression from my audition, and also I got to do Weekend Update with Colin Quinn. You know, when you have the feature, it's a big deal. For a comedian or a performer, you get Mm -hmm. kind of your own little slot to prove to everybody what you do. And I did like a bunch of, like a medley of different pop songs, changed the words to make them about Halloween. And... (laughs) Here's to tell you how much confidence they had in me for that bit. I was in the middle of Update, which if you watch, if you know the show at all, if you know a bit's going to kill, you put it at the end. Because you can't follow it with straight jokes. Colin's got to follow that with jokes about, you know, I don't know, Bush or whatever was president at the time. And so I did it and I just, it crushed. And you could see how happy Colin Quinn was. You knew you were good at that point. That was, dude, that was life change after that episode. Yeah. People started, this is, the internet is barely yeah, yeah, becoming yeah. something. And people started making blogs about me and websites fan about me and, and stuff, yeah. fan sites. And yeah. my sister was like, dude, this is like the coolest thing ever. And my sister made a scrapbook of all the people that made things. And I started getting fan mail. It's amazing. And you get fan mail. It's just the best. <laughs> I still have my first like 100 letters of fan I mail. I'm going to send them something That's one day. That's nice. Well, let me ask you, I mean, how did you handle... It is a fairly sudden thing where you go from being a guy who's, you know, doing small clubs to being a internationally known person there. And I wonder how you handled that. And just to add a little to that further, I mean, everybody's always talked about what a pressure cooker environment SNL is. And it's driven a lot of people to do things that are <laughs> regrettable in the, in the you know, when they look back. I guess you were very close there with Horatio Sands. Oh, he's, uh, I wouldn't be here today without him. Without Horatio? Yeah. Well, he had this, had a funny thing where he was talking about your, your guys' early years there, and he says that you two were, quote-unquote, super-functioning alcoholics, close quote, because, quote, we actually took what we thought being on SNL was, what people think is awesome about it, and we made it happen, close quote. So, like, <laughs> how did you deal with the pressure of, being at SNL. When we would go out, it's like nights we would go out and drink and stuff like that. Never show night or yeah. the night before a show. But during the week, we'd, we'd head out. And it's New York City, so it's so fun. Like I remember going to a bar with Horatio once, and he's so fun. And we get in, the guy's like, oh, my gosh. Jimmy Fallon and Horatio Sands? I'm the biggest fan of Saturday Night Live. I love you guys. Like, you, you were not paying for a drink in my bar, ever. 
And so we've already had a few. And so I go, uh, okay. Well, he's like, what do you want? I go, I'll have a, uh, I forget what my drink was yeah. at the time, Sierra Nevada or something. And then Horatio goes, uh, I'll have a frozen margarita. And the guy's like, great. He goes, but I want it in that vase. <laughs> and it was like a flower vase, like a giant vase. And the guy's like, really? What? You? He goes, can I have it in that vase? Right. He goes, sure, I guess. So he took the... <laughs> Took the flowers out of this, it's got to be like a three or two foot tall vase, cleaned it out and filled it up with frozen margarita (laughs) and uh, basically like shut the machine down. We had to just add stuff. And so Horatio had a giant frozen margarita and I had a a beer and maybe like a a Maker's Mark Chaser or something. And we just, we lived it up and we went to dance clubs and we had so much fun, man. We we really did it up. But when it was time to focus or, you know, uh, perform in the show, we'd be good. We'd be... We'd be straight by, by Friday. You were going to leave, I heard, after after the first three years, maybe to pursue film, but you were persuaded to stay three more. What kept you around? I wanted to leave because Belushi left after three years, and I, he was a big, uh, he's one of my favorites. He's an idol of mine. And I think that, you know, I never liked it as a fan when I saw people staying too long, because mm-hmm. I'd like to see the show change. as what makes Siren Live fun and fresh. It's all new people, and you get to watch them grow and become become that person. I mean, yeah. It's cool to watch. It's enjoyable. So I go, I'm going to leave. Lauren was like, right. First of all, you can't because you have six years in your contract, <laughs> but whatever. Good for you. Right. But second of all, we're doing Weekend Update. We need a new host of Update, and I think you should be, you should do Weekend Update. And I was like, I don't know, man. That's not my thing. I, I really just don't want to make just such a big deal. It's all about you. And I don't know. It's just didn't, I, I also didn't really read the news that much. Right, and right. I don't have a suit. It was a lot of problems. <laughs> so he's like, well, I think it'd be great because people know who you are and young people are interested in the news and right. they'll just, it's a perfect fit. Yeah. And I go, yeah, thanks, but I'm good. Wow. So I, I didn't do this. So I said, I'll just stick to doing sketches. And yeah. stuff. So then they had auditions f- with all the cast members to be the new host, the anchor of Weekend Update, yeah. which is the fake news in the middle yeah. of the show. Yeah. The, Basically cuts up Siren Live right. in two pieces. Right. So everyone auditioned. Everyone was good and had their own strengths and stuff like that. And then this one girl auditioned and she just knocked it out of the park. And it was a writer on the show named Tina Fey. <laughs> and she crushed it, man. And I don't know if anyone saw it coming. I don't even know if anyone knew that you could audition as a writer. Right, right. But she just did it. She said, oh, I want to try it. She crushed it. Right. So I think I, what I remember, I, I don't, you know, again, stories have all changed. <laughs> but I think everyone was into that, but she wasn't known. Right. So that was kind of a problem for the show. Right. It was like, we can't just put an unknown writer right. as, a, as a thing. So they were thinking about getting someone else in to do it with Tina or have Tina be a feature. Or So I said to Lauren, I said, what if I did it with Tina? Mm-hmm. Almost like a Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin. Yeah. He goes, I think that's a good idea. So basically, of course, I'm giving him what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> Plus right. the added well, bonus yeah. of <laughs> Tina Fey, <laughs> genius. <laughs> and that kept you around for three more years. Yeah. Well, we, we did the camera blocking actually in Conan O'Brien's studio so that no one would see it. It didn't go on, on the air anywhere, the West Coast. And we did this camera blocking thing just to see if me and Tina were yeah. good together. Yeah. And we were just great. Absolutely. The chemistry was there. And we just kind of took Weekend Update to a, a, a new level there. It was really fun. It was great to watch Tina explode oh, and, yeah. and the world was like everyone 
just went from <laughs> fan blog was me to like right. uber fan blog. Said, Dude, I want to marry Tina Perino. Right, She's right. the perfect girl. <laughs> oh my God. Just a couple quick wrap ups on SNL. You were known to not infrequently break character, kind of crack up on the show. How did you and how did Lauren feel about that? I, I think it made people laugh more because they realized how funny it was even to you guys. But what was your take on that? That all happened because I think all the sketches that people remember are the ones that I'm laughing in. Right. It's like I was in a ton more sketches where I didn't laugh. Of course. They just weren't funny. Right. <laughs> so what you're remembering is the funny right, sketches, right, yeah. right. which is good for you. I Absolutely. think it's smart. But I was out of my league, to be honest, and I'm in the sketch with Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan and Chris Parnell, and it was Cowbell was the first one, I think, where <laughs> I lost it. All I had was one line to read. And that was it. Oh, I just and I had to fake play the drums, and I was so psyched that my big thing was I was playing the fake drums, but I thought it'd be cool if I like I went like. <laughs> then I started lip syncing. So you, it's like, hey, is he really playing the drums? Like, I'm, again, I'm overthinking. No one cares. No one thinks I'm really playing. Don't fear the reaper. But that was what was going on in my head. So I was trying to focus on that. Trying to, you know, Christopher Walken wants more cowbell in the song. <laughs> Don't Fear the Reaper, because there is a little cowbell in the song if you listen to it. Adam McCain and Will Ferrell wrote this sketch and making fun of that. And so Will Ferrell wore this shirt, and every time he banged the cowbell, his shirt would rise up and his gut would hang right, out. Right. And it was, it was just so funny, and, and he was sweaty, and it was hilarious. Right. And on air, he wore a smaller shirt. Right. <laughs> and Christopher Walken was up the ante on Christopher Walken. He was right. re even more Christopher right. Walken. He was right. like, you know, we got to. Ah. He, was, he, he was like doing an impression of himself. <laughs> like, himself. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't, yeah. It, everyone was right. on their game. Right. And so I'm hitting, the, I'm sitting here, I'm like, I'm not used to no. these big leaguers. I'm minor league baseball, dude. I'm like barely, I'm like literally. I'm like, so I'm looking at these guys and I'm laughing right. because I'm a fan of the show. And, and, and you know, yeah, eventually people have to go, dude, you're not watching the sketch. <laughs> You're in the sketch. Stop watching it and get into it. But I'm learning, you know? Yeah, I think it's just, I'm a very easy laugh. And so people would try to make me try laugh to make the sketch. Laugh. Horatio was great at it. And we had so many good moments where it's like, and I would try to keep my cool off the camera. But, you know, the writers didn't like it. Lauren didn't like it. Cast member didn't like it. I, I didn't do it. <laughs> to steal focus, I did it because uh, no, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. I'm just, uh, yeah. I think, by the, just for whatever it's worth, the one of yours that I think I laughed the hardest at was, was the. Gib Brothers with Justin Timberlake <laughs> when you're doing that right kid or whatever. Oh, right in his face? Yeah. Uh, I was trying to break him, yeah. Because no, like, he's like, no, he's like, I could try, I could break him, right. I think. If I was in a sketch, and I I think it's fun to, to try to yeah, break the him. the other guy, yeah. Yeah, why not? It's like, he's the new guy, yeah, that I can break <laughs> now, exactly. Okay, so as your time was coming to an end at SNL, did Lauren sort of plant the seed in your mind that, you know, here a guy who didn't even want to do Weekend Update which is essentially a, a variation of a talk show, I guess, news talk show. Did he plant the seed that maybe that's something you should consider revisiting after you go and try your hand at Hollywood, which is what you were off to do? No, I said, well, my six years came up, and I go, love you guys, love everybody. I want to leave while I'm friends with everyone, and I don't want to do You hear these stories of people write books, and they go like, oh, it was awful. The last year we were throwing things at each other, you know, like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. So I left on a good note, and it was a bummer. I was really depressed because I loved everybody there. But I said goodbye to Tina and Ratio, and I just said, yeah, I'm just going to try to do movies. Lauren was like, okay. He's like, would you ever want to do a talk show? I go, what do you mean? He's like, well, there was something that went down. Leno was, Conan signed some deal to take over Jay Leno in six years. Right. Or something yeah, crazy like, like that. Yeah, like that, yeah. I've never heard of him, but I go, okay, in six years, 
Yeah, definitely. Like, whatever. So I go, I don't know. Would I be good at that? Oh, let me just try this movie thing. So I tried the movie thing. Taxi in 2004. Favorite pitch, 2005. Yes. These are future American <laughs> Film Institute top 100 yeah. movies. Classics. <laughs> Classics. Yeah, so clearly that didn't work for me. But uh, <laughs> but what is that about? Why can people love you on TV and not in movies? How can that, how do you explain that? I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I there's so many things that I, I think I would have done differently if I really wanted it make it in because now you see people they come out and they have like 10 flops right i just spaced my flops out too well you much. came away with a wife though so that was something it was the best thing ever right. happened from favorite pitch she was a producer. i married nancy yeah. jabonin yes. she's for we're married 10 years now muscle tough oh yeah thank you buddy <laughs> and taxi was great too i had the best time doing it it wasn't like no one goes out to make a bad movie no so it wasn't like that but i know but that's kind of the i think that's kind of one of the things that makes me good at this job is that I know how much work goes into all this stuff that you're selling. Yeah. I, I understand it. Like, I don't know if people really understand like what goes into it, uh, acting yeah, on a TV show. Yeah, it's yeah. insane yeah. how much you work. I can't even describe it. Yeah. You go nuts. Yeah. You end up quitting if you don't yeah. get canceled. You go, right. I can't take it. Right. And they go, but we're paying you twenty five <laughs> right. million right. dollars. And right. you go, I can't it's not take it, it yeah. dude. It's my, I'm killing myself. Right. So I know how much work because no one wants to flop. No. And so when I have people come on the show as guests and they know their movie's going to flop mm-hmm. and they go, hey, dude, I'm going to need you to <laughs> I need you to help me out on this right. one. And I go, no problem. That's my job. I'll do it. Okay. Been there. Yeah, yeah cause I've definitely been there, man. So I go, I'll just make it. We got to make it fun. I mean, if right. you want to do this for a long time, you got to keep it fun and you got to you got to be out there and go and make it. And it's just who knows what people like anymore. Right. I mean, so Lauren, though, had seen something that maybe you would come back one day to do. You would be open or good at late night. Open. Yeah, and Tina was like, dude, you're so Irish. You go and talk to everybody at the bars. And you're like, dude, <laughs> you talk to strangers and people's mom and dads at the after party. And like, this would be perfect for you. And I go, okay. I don't know. And then so six years later, Lauren called me. We're still friends. And he goes, hey, remember I offered you that thing six years ago? He's like, do you want to do that? And I go, right. Let me ask my my wife because now I'm married. Right. I go, Nancy, what do you think of this? And she's like, You have to. You're only the third person to do this job. I mean, it's David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, and this will be you. I mean, it's amazing. Right. Posting late night. And NBC, though, internally was, according to things I've read, they were a little divided. I know that Lauren had to kind of go to Baffrey, right? Yeah. They didn't want me at all. They were like, Jimmy Fallon, the guy from the failed movies <laughs> good for him that he got married but well i saw one of, the, that one of the promos once you did sign on quote you loved him on snl you hated him in the movies <laughs> now you're ambivalent <laughs> that was taken that's so good that's yeah he wrote that yeah you loved him yeah <laughs> you loved him. you hated him in the movies now he was <laughs> no seriously but so nbc was like why are we doing this and lauren's like he's great he's, he's he knows he's just good with people he's right. great to work with he works hard right he goes and i believe in him and then they said yeah i don't think so and he goes well if you don't do it with jimmy then i'm out wow as the executive producer yeah yeah and that's a big that was a big deal. person going to bat for you man yeah. I, I i really never forgot that i mean he's such a but he knows who he believes in and he yeah. really gets behind you. he's very loyal over the years that you were there, that's 2009 to 2013, you really sort of established the same model that you now use at The Tonight Show, right? I mean, it was, as one person put it, like, the, maybe the beating heartbeat is music, mimicry, and games. Now it's been copied by a lot of other people now that there's so many late-night shows. But at the time, I think most of the late-night hosts were a lot stiffer than that, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, 1230 especially. You just yeah. basically go on, sell your film, and get off. Yeah. Yeah, but I was like, we got this platform. Let's just go for it. Right. Do everything you 
ever learned ever. Just give him everything you got. Yeah. Do those impressions. Play the guitar. Do musical impressions. Sing with people. Whatever you want to do. But you know, also let people shine too. Is which is still my key. I, I really don't like being the guy doing the thing where you're like, oh, that's that's funny, but it was a little, you know, let, right. like it's, now and then bands will come on and they go, do you want to sing with us? And I go. No. Yeah. Dude, I, unless it's a joke, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. I really don't, you know, I really, but I remember uh, just doing that. And this is, you know, at the time you had David Letterman and John Stewart mm-hmm. and Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. and then Jay Leno. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, 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 I forget the order where it hit, but, and Craig Ferguson. Right. And Chelsea. Right. Handler. And it's just interesting how it's all just changed. It's totally, yeah. I mean, now they're, none of those people are. Are here. The other big contribution I think that you led the way with was the viral video, which as the internet was becoming a bigger thing in people's lives, I mean, this especially, and and as people are can watch things whenever they want, they don't have to necessarily stay up at that hour to watch, you know. Was that always part of your thought process? Let's do things that will stand alone on their own as well if they're watched the next morning on YouTube or something, or no. just happened that way? It just happened that way because I just... Basically, just know beginning, middle, and end of a sketch yeah. for Siren Live. Right. Keep it as short as possible. I mean, you really, they always come in eight pages and you go, let's take three out. Right. You know, it's right. like, but that's the way it is. And you got to edit it and make sure it's a thing. It's just, just to make it work. I, I always like this shorter as possible. Yeah, yeah. I can't stand a 20 minute sketch or, <laughs> I mean, you just look at some of the old SNL stuff, you're like, this is a 10 minute sketch. <laughs> I can't, my attention span can't last 10 anymore. minutes. No. No, and if it's, it's, it can't all be funny either. But I mean, sometimes if it is, it's worth it. But that's too long for me. So I, we were just trying to like edit it and give you the most stuff yeah. you can do in, in one in one evening. And we should just remind people that with the late night years, the maybe some of the most famous, most viral things you guys did. You and Timberlake doing the history of rap segments, which started in 2010. You singing the original Yesterday with Paul McCartney, also in 2010. Wow. Slow jamming the news with President Obama in 2012. <laughs> I wonder how how did you pitch that? He was coming on the show and uh, we said, would you want to do a bit? He's like, uh, his people right. said, uh, well, we'll look at it. So he go, what do you, is it, we have a bit called Slow Jam the News. I think we did it once, maybe I think I just did it by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just showed them the tape, and they said, well, we'll consider that. Like, let's see what you're going to So I wrote it, and then they said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And so I was rehearsing with we've, – we've done it twice with right. Obama, right when he first got elected, right. and then at the end right. when he was leaving, and he was a totally different yeah. Barack Obama. Yeah. The first one was very like, uh, yep, okay, I'll do that. Oh, okay. And I go uh, – and at the end, can you go like, oh, yeah. And he goes, <laughs> nope. I will not do that. I'm like, okay, then no problem, up. Mr. President. Absolutely. And then the last, the last one I was like, right. at the end, I want you to sing like uh, Rihanna, work, work, work. And he's like, work, 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 work. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, no, no. I want you to do it like you. Uh, he's like, what? I go, I want you to be like, work, 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 work. <laughs> he's like, why do you got to make me sound like that? I go, because come on, you're almost out, dude. You're almost out of here. Let's keep it clean. Let's keep it good. Yeah. <laughs> He was great, man. And then you had his wife in there for the Evolution of Mom Dancing. But how early on did you did you suspect that The Tonight Show might be offered to you? Was it right from the time you took Late Night, or did it only come along later? No, it came along later. I know there was a whole thing with Conan and Jay Leno and that whole thing. And I was friends with both of them. And so I just kept my head down. I said, guys, we have a show to do, and let's just not worry about that other stuff. It's none of our business. We're on at 1230. Yep. Let's just do the best show we can do. And that's why we started just doing 
you know, Neil Young and all these impressions came out of just, just get in your head, just keep right. doing the funniest stuff you could possibly do and don't worry about this stuff. Right. Then Jay took it back over and then he was great. He was a great lead in and always great guy to me, still is, gives me advice. And, and then I think everyone just started kind of just talking and saying like, cause after this whole thing went down, like if it's ever going to be a transition, it should be Jimmy and let's do it the right way. And yeah. Jay and I talked about it and he was like, I think he'd be good when they're, when, you know, NBC is ready to do it. I'm ready whenever. And yeah. cause he was already left. Yeah. It's like, I'm I already left so I can leave again. I don't <laughs> care. It's like, and so when we made the transition, we just want to make it as smooth as possible. And he couldn't have been a better guy. Steve Burke was great. Yeah. I mean, a lot of change happened. I mean, at NBC and I don't know how many presidents I've seen of NBC throughout the years right. and different owners of the, you know, it's been crazy, but Steve Burke actually wanted to do it the right way. And I got to give him a lot of credit. Yeah. Him and Lauren made it and Jay. Cause we should say like it, Ahead of your debut, which was February 17th, 2014, the show had not been in New York in 42 years. Now they redid the same studio where you were doing Late Night, right? And you just stay there with Steve Higgins, with The Roots. And so you you got going then. And I know it was a cool thing on the first show to have Joan Rivers ending that kind of black ball era since 86 for her. But at that time... The other network late night hosts of 1130 were Letterman at CBS and Kimmel at ABC. How well did you already know those guys and did you keep tabs on what was going on there? I was friends with all of them. I'm I'm friendlier now with Kimmel than I was back then because I didn't know him that well. But I've been on Letterman maybe 10 times. So I knew him. I did all my, I've saved all my bits for his show and I knew the whole, everyone over there, the crew and everybody. And we actually did some stuff when I was on late night where he would talk to me through the show and be like, What's uh, little Jimmy Fallon doing? And can he show me how to do Twitter and all this stuff? And I think CBS told him to stop mentioning my name. And so he did. (laughs) One of the things that really everybody remarks about when talking about you, certainly in reference to all these other guys that do this, so many of them, and I, you know, it's a form of humor or whatever, but they seem to have a chip on their shoulder. They're angry about something or that's, that's, that's their persona. You are the most upbeat, positive guy. I don't think anyone's ever seen you angry. And so I want to ask you, because we've seen like the Larry Sanders show and stuff that shows what this job, and you kind of referenced it earlier, that in some, it's so hard, you know, having to do the same thing and put your face on and do this every night and act like you're just as thrilled to be there every night, it can probably drive a person crazy. So how do you maintain that positivity every single night? I think, you know, uh, again, with Larry Sanders, Larry never really flipped out. It was when the doors closed and he would just kind of yell a couple things, you know, or complain about Hank or whatever. Right. But you always had the producer be the the bad guy. Right. And it, honestly, you have another show tomorrow. Right. So I can't really freak out and go like, ah, that thing didn't work out. And, you know, or God, that was just a bad show, man. It's like you could do it for a little bit, but you got another show tomorrow. Right. And the goal of it is you want to make humans laugh. I mean, it, it's... It's bigger now than it's ever been. I mean, the show is global. It's yeah. like it's bigger than New York City. It's bigger than America. I mean, I go to on vacation to London and people are, you know, coming up to me like, can I take a picture? You know, I'm from Dubai. And I go, Why? how do you even see the right. show? I'm like, do we air in Dubai? They're like, no, YouTube. And I go, oh, yeah, whatever. I got but this didn't exist, you know, at the time. And it's like, it's just cool to see that it can go and, and grow and be that. It's just really kind of exciting. And so but are there, are there days when you have to really force that energy and, and positivity? I would yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, but I mean, there's days when you're sick, too. But it's like yeah. the, you have 300 people working for you. So yeah. it's like 
Yeah, you're gonna really and a lot of people in the audience. You're gonna take just take an aspirin. Yeah, and get over it, buddy. Where do you tend to get your ideas, and and how do you record them? I mean, the iPhone has been great to me because it's just basically like a little computer in your pocket. Yeah. So I mean, either I do voice memos in the morning, which is just usually incoherent <laughs> and mumbling. It's like, right. mm-hmm. and you go, that was your idea for Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> what what the hell are you gonna do with that thing? I mean, I, but I, I don't want to wake my wife up. Right. You know, so sometimes I'll go in the bathroom like, right. if I have an idea for a song or some right. bit. Or there's an app called Evernote that I've just been using forever where I just go like, this is an idea. Right. It's something. It's dumb. You know, I have an idea for Timberlake 2 coming out. I just yeah. thought of it over the break. That Who knows if it would be funny, but I have it written down. So next time he's around, I go, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, do this. What part of the show do you personally tend to get most hands-on with? Is it the monologue? Is it something else? A game? It is... Yeah, it's usually like a, either if it's a, a pre-tape or, or a sketch or something like that. I, I, I'm pretty hands-on with all of it. I mean, I talked to the head writer, Amy Olzos, and I talked to her and Arthur Meyer about the sketches. And every day I have a meeting from, you know, usually 1230 on. It's just meetings with yeah. people just going through everything planned out. You know, we have things planned out with guests two months from now. You know, like, uh, I think, that, what do you think of that? Oh, that's good. How about this? Yeah. And like, oh, he wants to come sing this for you. And like, oh, how about if you add this word? Right. You know, so you're constantly always doing that. And monologue, it's, you're reading it. I have a, you know, we go through, you know, 50 jokes yeah. or 100 jokes down to 30. And then I narrow that down. I read it in front of a rehearsal audience. And then if I want to change different words or lines, I change that. And then I go through it in, a room before the show, and usually Lauren's in there, and he'll go, oh, maybe change this line or yeah. cut that. It's like, oh, are we doing another, you know, Trump joke? Or are you going to do another Clinton joke? It's like, you know, there was a while we did a Chris Christie joke every single night. And right. go, okay. <laughs> you mentioned something that I obviously have to ask you about, person that I have to ask you about, because it's interesting just how all of our lives have been jolted by him, and that is Mr. Trump. On September 15th, 2016, he came here as the candidate who nobody really thought had much of a chance of winning. And you guys had a conversation, not unlike all the others that, you know, kind of a pleasant back and forth that culminated or in some ways also featured the hair ruffle. And I just wonder if you can take me through your mindset on that day and, you know, before, during and after. Would you ever have imagined that this would cause the kind of backlash that it did? And why do you think it did? I could say, I mean, people are just very upset, you know, if they, you know, and, and, and angry if, you know, if the people, their, their candidate didn't win. And so, I, I, and, you know, if they really don't like the other person, they, they really don't like anything they're involved in. Mm-hmm. I did not do it to normalize him or to say I believe in his political beliefs or any of that stuff. I don't do that with any guest. Right. Anyone. I mean, whoever's on the show tonight, I don't know who they believe in or what they believe in. I, I just had him on as a guest. And so he was already the candidate. And he was Donald Trump already. He was the Republican candidate. And I had the Democratic candidate on the next night. And you touched her hair, too. <laughs> and I touched her hair as well. And I gave her a bit. And I did. Right. So I didn't mean to make him angry. And I, I knew it would be big because I touched his hair. Right. And I think a lot of people at the time were just all they were talking about was his hair, yeah. the hair, the hair. Is it real? Is it a toupee? Is it a thing? <laughs> it, that was, it just got bigger than, and just out of control. When did you realize that it was a big thing? I saw like other comedians from other shows making fun of me on Twitter, and I go, I go, okay, now I'm just gonna get off because now 
I feel like no one's is it hurtful the response the back yeah 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 definitely because they know the the show I'm just doing five hours a week man I'm like right. working I get in at you know ten in the morning I work till seven at night I'm just trying to make a funny show yeah. you know the grind so yeah. you know and it's, you know me I'm not that I don't want to make it out of all the people in the world I'm one of the good people yeah. I mean really I don't think you don't even know what you're talking about if you say that I'm doing anything or I'm evil or whatever it's like but people just jump in the train and they just they, some people don't even they don't even want to hear anything else except like no oh, you did that you go well just calm down and just look at the whole thing and actually see my body of work and it's just the fun of the show you know it's like it's it, I've had him on Donald Trump has come on probably 10 15 times yeah he was a star on NBC right he was a reality star right I've done so many bits with that guy I've always asked to touch his hair <laughs> I did a bit where I touched his hair and it barked at me <laughs> I've done you know I, I he's come on the show and he's I will say this about him is that he's never changed he's yeah. a, he's just always been a, he's just an odd guy <laughs> right right we did a bit once where he came on the show and we were doing charades I right. go Donald do you want to do charades on the show he's like what is what is charades <laughs> you go come on Right. What is charades? Right. Right. You don't know the game, the parlor game, charades, right. where you act out like, I don't know what it is, I'll do it, sure, right. whatever. It <laughs> so I go, all right, and I did a bit, and his partner was Lil John. Right. And Lil John was doing his gesture, and he's putting his hands right. in front of his belly, and like in a, like it's a big round thing in front, and, and Trump goes, boobs. Right. And I go, oh my gosh. Oh That's my what we're God. dealing with. Yeah. Baby. Is he making a, he's, oh he's doing, he's doing a, it's a baby. Oh Come on, man. And like, but he was just, I, I well, don't know. Let, so, me ask you, let me ask you this, because I don't think anyone that I know thinks you're a bad guy for having done it. I think they were very angry and passionate about him generally, and this happened to feed into that. But my question is just, it seems like there was a period between then and the election a few months later where it became somehow for some people they it was an excuse to give you a hard time about a number of things new york post did this thing that they're insinuating that your off work time was you were drinking or whatever and that that had caused these weird injuries that you had and stuff my only question is getting through that period did it change you did it change the show in any way you've seen now that the ratings of the guys who are more political your your competitors have been in the trump era been helped by being political did it make you think maybe I should get more political on the show? Did it change anything else about the way you go about your business? I think if anything, you know, it, it changed the way I think, like, with the, all that social media stuff and that you shouldn't really get that involved with that and don't really believe that because I don't even know how much of that yeah. is reality. You really just have to think about all the people that love your show and really are watching the show to get away from all this and escape the problems in the world. And I, I, I think... Like anything, Trump coming in, I don't know who, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't, you know, support his politics, but I don't make that part of my show. It's the Tonight Show. It should be for everybody. So I, I want to do, I will make fun of the president, which I did with Obama. That's all I lived through. All I had was Obama. Yeah. So yeah. this is the first time I'm dealing with a different president. So I have to learn. And so I have to see what he does. I see what Mike Pence does. I see what those jokes are. And so that changes the show. The ratings never bothered me. I don't really care about the ratings. I never will. That's someone else's job right. at NBC. If they, <laughs> you know, if I worry about the ratings, then I should have been worried when we were number one and yeah. whatever. So I, I never cared about that. I never will. I just want to make sure we have the best show possible. Yeah. But it was definitely a, a downtime, and it's tough for morale 
for you know people it's 300 people that work here and so people are talking that bad about you and ganging up on you and really gang mentality on. Oh, it was insane it was a, people you wouldn't expect and, and you're a sensitive guy you go what you go all right we get it i heard you right you made me feel bad so now what you happy you, i'm depressed you want to push me more or what do you want me to do i know what are you i mean you I want me to kill you, myself or what, what would make you happy Get over it. You've said your only regret about it really is that you didn't speak to quell the issue sooner. Is that right? Yeah, I probably should have just talked and just done interviews immediately after. And you're like, I don't, dude, I don't believe in. Well, you don't do a lot of interviews. Any period. Pol- politicians, I don't. But yeah. it's like I, I host a talk show every night. Right. Why right. would I be right. on a show? Right. The fact that you're having me on, it's like, dude, I <laughs> no, hope, well, hopefully I'm, people tune in. No, but it's like, come on. That's but I, I go, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to make anyone angry. That's I never do. Right. And I never will. It's all. In the fun of the show, and I made a mistake. I'm sorry if I made anyone mad. And looking back, I would do it differently. But, you know, you, you have five nights a, a week to make comedy. And uh, you have to make a lot of people laugh. And there's there's more people out there that need joy in their life. Right. And there's people in there's people that are really depressed right. and need something to laugh at. I, that's my job is to make people laugh. So I just got to rise up out of that and, and, and just go like, dude, let's do another... Let's just think of another thing that'll make people laugh, and then you just got to keep moving, and right. and don't you got to keep your head down, and it's it's, it's tough, but and you got to get morale up, and you got to tell everyone that we have a great show, we have the best show on TV, I I believe, and we have a full on variety show, we do everything. We should acknowledge because as we wind down here, you you've had some of the best funniest viral segments. Your lip sync battles spawned its own show. Your thank you notes thing people love. Battle of the Instant Songwriters, my buddy Todd Kramer was one of your participants. Was I think really? that was hilarious. It was just great. Isn't that a fantastic thing it's to a see brilliant how idea. talented people no, are to write? You have an hour to write a song. It's fantastic. Really and great. though, you know, for anyone who wants to suggest that just because you have fun, you can't also be serious or have, have depth, I want to direct them to a few different clips august 2014 after robin williams death very emotional monologue there after letterman's last show a competitor in may 2015 and then more recently after charlottesville and most recently november 13th 2017 your first show after losing your mother i mean these are some very powerful moments yeah that's tough but you got to do it you know you got to do what the show must go on you got to like it's just tough yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's those things that I, I, you know, I don't like doing it too much. You can't do it for every single thing because that's, again, you're here to make everyone laugh. Right. But it's just, you got to, you know. You're a person. You gotta, um, yeah. And you also, you, people want to hear from you. They really want to, you're part of their world. I mean, television is so powerful. Yeah. You're really part of you. People go to bed with you every single night and they go up to you on the street and they think they, they know you really well. Yeah. So, and they do. Yeah. Because, so I got to be honest and I go, but I don't want to preach every night and tell you, you know, and here's what's wrong with the world and here's what's and just keep hammering. And you go, OK, dude, now make me laugh. Just well, you also walk the walk. I know that just recently you were at the March for Our Lives and then also you did a commencement speech for the kids at Parkland, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Those are that was meaningful things to people. Those kids were honestly, they're just so inspiring. And I just, it's, I, mean, I can't even imagine yeah. what they went through what they're going through even the families but also the survivors and just that was a i wanted to make sure i i I handled that speech as well as i possibly could so i had uh, three great writers help me out with that one we were going over and over and and just trying to make sure we rode the right line of respectful but still 
want to give them a little laugh or something to no, look forward to. It's their graduation. It meant a lot to them. It was a big deal. Last question is, you are basically at the top of the comedy world, the top of the comedy pyramid. This is the job that so many people have literally fought and clawed to be at. And so I just wonder, on the one hand, that's got to be very gratifying. On the other hand, I wonder if it's sort of like these guys that astronauts that go to the moon and then they come back and it's like, you know, they sometimes are depressed. Like, how do you, where do you go from here? What do you, what, it's, it's such an elevated experience. And so I just wonder for you, how long do you see yourself sticking with it? How will you know when it's time to stop? And are you still enjoying it? I'm not going to stop until, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to stop, when there's no more TV, I guess. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go forever. I mean, I want to just get do more and more cool stuff. I want more roller coasters. Right. I want more ice creams. Right. I want to help more people. I want to raise money for things. Right. I want to do more viral moments. I want to, you know, watch someone become a huge star. Right. I want to have a nobody who is like, who is that person? Right. Now be a household name. That is all fun of the thing. I love the business. I love what I do. I'm, dude, I'm such a, uh, I'm in such a net, network guy now. I've been 20 at years. NBC for two. Yeah. Like, it's like, I, Al Roker is probably the only guy that has more time than me. I mean, I'm the last guy standing here. Right. I love what I do. I'm lucky to work with people I right. work with. And I hope I get to do this for as long as people are watching. Yeah. Well, you do a great job. Thank you so much for doing this. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us.